Well, this evening, as we complete uh, two sermons now, this will be the second of those two sermons to reflect upon the events that, uh, well, in some ways, are foreseeable. A woman of 96 is surely nearing the end of her earthly days. And indeed, our sovereign queen came to that point a week and a half or so ago. And so last Lord's Day, we actually took Deuteronomy chapter 34 and the the death of Moses, somebody there who had been a leader amongst his people for a long time. He was 120 years old in his case when he was called home and how the people wept and mourned. The day of weeping and mourning was what Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 8 called it. And so as the nation later on in an hour and a half's time or so will observe, I think, a minute's silence there. And of course, 11 o'clock tomorrow, the funeral itself takes place and the 10 days of mourning come to their end. And of course, we saw last time the curious place of the the monarchy and the the life of Britain. We tried to see it in the brief time that we we looked at it. And um, well, there's no place quite like Britain in terms of our constitutional monarchy. We are the wonder of the world. In, in having that. And we reflected a little upon that, what the Queen can, what she can't do. And we thought about her virtues, virtues actually which spoke very, very well of her and could be very easily fitted in with what we read in Scripture, what's expected there, being very just and sober-minded and diligent, hard-working, loyal, faithful, such things that very much come to the fore. But we saw that for all of that, that we have to concede our nation has not paid much attention to the person that she was, that she might have been admired at a distance and people were glad that she was there. And during maybe her Christmas Day message to the nation, people would kind of listen and think, well, we really, really ought to be like that, really ought to do it. But judging from the behavior of our fellow countrymen, the effect did not last long, nor the impression run particularly deep. So we are a little disappointed, not in our queen, but in our country, that we did not raise our game to come nearer to her character and the dignity that she showed in office. So my first heading tonight, we take a slightly different direction now, but one I hinted at last week is this expecting too much, expecting too much, that we can expect too much of people. Good people, strong people, people with all the qualities that Her Majesty had. But we can perhaps expect too much of them. And the same goes really for any and every figure that may have played a a prominent part in our lives. I, I don't know... A prominent part there that the Queen played in your life. Uh, been interesting to reflect uh, for myself to try and answer that question for myself. But if we were to say, well, parents, the effect of parents uh, upon us, and what do we expect of them? We hope too much in them. I talked to people. In fact, I spoke to somebody yesterday, and she was saying, oh yes, yes, about. Uh, in a bigger picture and bigger world and supernatural things. Oh, yes, she says, I I speak to my mother, passed away. I speak to her, and I'm in contact with her. And one sighs, I'm 
sure, let's think well of, of the dead, that her mother was a very worthy figure, perhaps, but occupying a place there that drives somebody to turn to mediums, to consult. One wonders, expecting too much, perhaps, there of a mother, that she must still kind of give communication, give help, give succor beyond the grave. And we know that that is not scriptural at all. Teachers, people perhaps at school who we looked up to and maybe had a, for better, a very formative experience upon us. And perhaps we gave them too much, hung on their every word, too much. Professors and lecturers at universities, we went there. As employers, that we give them too big a place and they occupy too much of our thoughts. Pastors can do it too. Be too much, be too much expected of them. Queens, yes, it applies to them. Sovereigns, presidents, we'll come back to this in a minute, but the NHS, we can expect too much of public bodies and public institutions. Why, indeed, we might be led to actually place too much hope in them. So we can expect too much. And, well, actually, were we to read the history books and... Uh, son, having done a history degree, is quick to put us right on the, the kings and queens that have gone before. And uh, a right bunch they were, we might say. And uh, we look at our history there a bit and blush. And we hear some of the strictures about colonialism and the, and the like. And we could be hugely disappointed if we were expecting too much of previous kings, their behaviour, and the rest of it. In fact, it was often reaction to the excesses of previous kings and monarchs that led to the things that actually made our country very distinctive, like the Magna Carta, the curbing of the king's powers and the stopping him from arbitrary rule. And then later on, the various uh, upheavals and convulsions of the civil war and how after that, again, a curbing of royal power and the emergence of, uh, of parliamentary democracy. And yes, this strange hybrid that we are as a constitutional monarchy came out often of excesses of kings. Their bad behaviour led to parliaments assuming more responsibility. Now, as is, and one reads about these things there, that uh, crown privilege is settled upon the government, so the prime minister can declare war and can levy taxes and all the things that kings and queens can't quite do these days. So we don't expect too much. And the Bible is very clear on this fact that we should not expect too much. Even a very high and mighty people, people of high degree, people of any degree, they're flesh and blood. And we have always to remember that. Psalm 62 verse 9, surely men of low degree are a vapor, and of high degree are a lie. If they're weighed on the scales, they're altogether lighter than vapour. It's in the final analysis. They are but men, or but women, and lighter than vapour when weighed on the balances. Psalm 118 and verses 8 to 9. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, don't expect too much, it's saying there. Don't put all your hopes, all your confidence in man, not in princes, that you could be riding for the proverbial fall in that. Psalm 100 
and 46 and verses 3 and 4 again. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and that very day his plans perish. And uh, we know that, don't we, there? And that is the experience. Why, throughout scripture, there are more sad stories attached to kings than happier stories, certainly in the northern kingdom, after the kingdom split up, after Rehoboam hears the bad advice of the young men and speaks rather rashly and harshly to Jeroboam. And there is then the the rebellion and the northern kingdom is established, but never well established. And the kings did evil. And uh, you read again and again, this king and that king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And in the southern kingdom, around Jerusalem, of course, better things. There were better kings, Hezekiah and Josiah and Asa and Jehoshaphat. But even amongst them, some others, there was uh, Ahaz to be found. And at the end, of course, uh, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin and Zedekiah, all who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Wrong to put trust in these men because we can be sorely, sorely disappointed. Psalm 147 and uh, and there in, in verse uh, 10 to 11, the Lord declares this. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. So we are to be modest in our hopes and expectations of people. However elevated, governments, kings, queens, presidents often marvel at the media, the great hoopla and the way in which new presidents or whatever are greeted and the expectations that are heaped upon them. And yet in the end, they, they disappoint. Well, one politician said every political career ends in failure. Well, perhaps that was a bit, a bit over negative, but I think we get his drift. And so often, they prove in the end to be a disappointment. People can indeed occupy too big a space. And a space in the end in our hearts and in our hopes and our trusts and affections that only God can fill, should fill, that anything else, everyone else, then we are in danger of idolatry, putting idols there, making idols of men, when actually only God deserves that kind of attention, that kind of affection, that kind of hope and trust that only he can fulfill on those things. And people, however high in office, however good they were in office, can never quite match to that. That people can become too much an object of admiration, of adoration, that they can do no wrong. And, well, I allow myself a little detour here to 25 years ago, in fact, just a, a month over 25 years ago, and the, the death of Princess Diana and all that happened in that. Yes, you can probably remember, I can, uh, where I was, what I was doing when we heard that news. And that, that was a shock. That was news indeed, and the manner in which it had happened and all that surrounded it. And we then saw, didn't we, the reaction of the, the nation, how suddenly there was uh, unleashed a whole, uh, a whole expression 
of emotion and public grief, which really wrong-footed the royal family. They were still sort of following protocols established wherever they were and flags that weren't hung at half-mast because she didn't qualify for that and Queen stayed at Balmoral rather than hurry to London and kind of be seen there amongst the crowds. Curious, very curious. And I think we learnt from that, those of us who were sort of around there, that our nation had changed. Something had changed. We were not the people we once were. And that set us really there on a, on a different trajectory. And we could say, well, we're where we are now, really. And some of the things that we're seeing, because something happened, something changed. And the death of Princess Diana, tragic though it was, and really all about it. I can remember feeling sadness because prior to that coming to that point and that fatal drive from that hotel in Paris, that she had cut a very tragic figure. She was casting around, consulting mystics. Uh, I kind of looked it up. I sort of faintly remembered the story. But yes, indeed, you know, she was even one, well, I was nearly popped out when they didn't quite. But in Grasmore, would you believe there, there was a mystic in Grasmore where she went, yes, here, here, in, here in Derbyshire. Uh, and uh, she, and, and of course, you were with that fellow Dodie fired at that time, turned up on the doorstep, I think, took Rasmore rather by surprise to find Princess Diana uh, kind of walking the streets there. But that's what she did. And she wasn't the only one that she visited and consulted. She had some other uh, mystic that she would spend up to 10 hours a day on the phone speaking to this woman seeking guidance. And that is tragic, friends. That is just uh, absolutely tragic. For I would say, and quickly say, she was a woman with some very remarkable qualities, great courage, and great bravery, and a genuineness with which she cared for other people. I think that that spoke very well of her, but very flawed. And she spoke about herself famously on one occasion, remarking that she wouldn't become queen of the nation, but that she could become perhaps queen of people's hearts, in people's hearts kind of representative for all hurting people, for all victims, for all broken, flawed people, that she could become, as it were, a, a spokeswoman for them, that she kind of made it all right to, to be broken, to be hurt, to express it, to be willing to, to confess to these things, as of course she famously did in those television interviews that she gave. And so our nation followed that and made her, as it were, the patron saint there of, of broken hearts. And she could be their queen of hearts and in the loss that people felt, that emotion which it was okay to show. And sure, there's, there's much right in showing emotion. And yet there was something excessive in this. The way the royal family was censured, and probably is an exaggeration when they said to Her Majesty that you better get to London quick or there may not be a monarchy tomorrow. That such was the feeling of, of affront that the Queen was not sharing in this, this sort of national grief and the, the outpouring and the very public expression of it. Something there had changed. And perhaps people were expecting too much of Princess Diana. Perhaps people were looking to her for more than she. Talented, amazing individual but flawed individual, a woman with, with many needs and who at the last was found, well, with playboys and with mystics 
sad ending. Friends don't expect too much of people and all the call there, really, I guess in the pandemic, NHS save us. Well, maybe we were trying to save the NHS as it was tottering there and struggling to, to, to meet perhaps the expected demand. But again, people didn't expect too much. There are only people, nurses and doctors and health workers and people doing their best and often very tired and whose home lives are perhaps falling apart and they have to go in and do the job that they've got to do and be as clear and direct in what they're doing. And we can place too much hope upon them, perhaps part of the whole problem, the pandemic and what was expected of the NHS, what we thought they should be able to do, that the once in a generation or once in a whatever time that that pandemic was thought to constitute. Well, perhaps we just cannot expect the NHS to cope. There are only people and there's only so much money we can spend. Expecting too much. My final heading, put your trust in God. Friends, put your trust in God after my little detour and uh, lengthy digression there, but perhaps in living memory of us, Princess Diana, was certainly a live issue. But no, friends, put, put your trust in God for our future king, for our present king. Put your trust in God for his family, for Prince William, who we imagine one day will assume the title of King of England. Put your trust in God, not looking to men, not putting our hopes in princes, being respectful of them, honouring them in the positions that they have, praying for them, that they may exercise their duties in a way that will please God and will be a blessing to the nation. But we trust in God. God does not say that won't work. Can't quite meet that. God promises, I will exceed your expectations. Put your trust in me and I will exceed your expectations. Everything about my character that I tell you, and it's here in the Bible, everything that I tell you about myself, you can trust in that. And you will prove me in that. Psalm 18, verses 1 to 3. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. So one, making him the one in whom I will trust. What well, you're saying of God, that is your strength. You're saying is your shield, the, the horn of your salvation. The, the sort of strong point, the one who gives you that strength. Your stronghold, you can retreat into him and find comfort, find protection. The thought is, is, is present in quite a few of the Psalms. I'm just turning now to Psalm 62 and to verse 9. Psalm 62 and there in verse 9. Well, we read surely men of low degree. I'm actually looking for verse 1 and verses 5 to 6. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only, note that, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Your hopes in men, put your hopes in public bodies, you will be greatly moved. You'll be disappointed. You'll be cast into a degree of chaos and crisis if, if that is where your thought was and that it wasn't putting 
That is very useful, very good people, but under God. Did you put God first in all of that? And uh, elsewhere there in Psalm 62, verses 5 to 6, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And God offers himself to be that. And he invites you and me, put your hope in me, put your confidence in me. All those descriptions, rock, horn of your salvation, your strength and your defense and your, your stronghold. Yes, invest your trust in me. You will never be put to shame. You will never be disappointed. You will never come away saying, well, I expected more of him than that. You will find instead that I was doing far, far more than you ever knew. And you only woke up to it perhaps in later years. And you saw what I was actually doing in retrospect. Put your trust in him. Let him command your affections. Let him rule your heart and mind. Let him show himself to us faithful and upright, loyal. Well, we could say hardworking, always working, upholding this world as his son by the word of his power. Or we might say as our sovereign queen showed in a lesser degree, controlled, self-controlled. How many provocations that God could justly say, let them be judged for that. Let their life be forfeit. Let that nation die as it will. Let its culture, let all its hopes die. And just know, patience, patience again. Preaching can continue. Long-suffering of God, as when the days of the ark, wasn't it there? That people might repent. God's patiently waited. And he patiently waits still. Yes, he is self-controlled indeed. And of his son, well, of his son, what do we say of him? Well, we say all that we've just read there because he is God and every attribute of God is, is the son's because he is God. And he is the rock of our salvation. He is the one who's coming into the world, has changed our world, changed the world. Would that tomorrow indeed has prayed it would change many other people's worlds, that he may be preached at the funeral, that his name will be lifted up and that people would bow the knee to him. For yes, this is uh, God's good pleasure to save us from our sins by and through his son. His son, in all the glory of his identity, both the one who is fully God, yet fully man, as often we remember. And there we can have very, very high expectations. We can expect him actually to save us to the uttermost. He is able to do it because he ever lives. He's alive forevermore. And his work and ministry is, is loved in heaven. And his petitions, as it were, for our sakes, the needed grace that you and I have for just daily living. Well, the Father is very pleased to hear such prayers and to send grace to us in the shape and form there and the person of the Holy Spirit and his work within us and the comforts and consolations that he brings. The Father is pleased that we should look to his Son and be saved. The Holy Spirit is pleased that the Son should occupy our thoughts and our attention. 
but though human, yes, as well. Well, Thomas, when he worshipped him, my Lord and my God, did not speak wrongly. And the Lord Jesus is able to receive the worship of people, being the God-man. And so we can never make an idol of him. We can never say we're idolizing a man here. Watch out. Never. Because you can't make an idol of God. You can never have him enough in your thought or in mine that we can be in danger of that. He should be there. He should be the one. The son of God should be all our delight, all our hope, all of our affections. Should be stirred, should be moved toward him. Oh, what poor creatures we are that we think actually so little of him, that we make so little of him that indeed our eyes are often on the princes or on the on whatever public body or our hopes are in the government and the new prime minister, maybe, or whatever, and not not on him, riveted upon him, not having him occupy what sometimes the idols are there. No, have him there and let him command your affections and mine. Who is he? Well, we, we read it, didn't we, in Revelation chapter 19. I think we read that a few months ago, but what a passage it is, isn't it? There, here he comes, one who is called faithful, and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He is a king that can declare wars. He can make war and he wins the wars, wars against evil, the war against the devil. He will, he will be victorious in all of that. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Just as we find him in John chapter one, the word of God, God speaks. Great prophet of our God, he speaks and we should listen to him. But there is his title in verse 16. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. What a name. King of kings, Lord of lords. Well, you can't go beyond that, can you? (laughs) King of kings and Lord of lords. You can't be guilty of idolatry when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I simply cannot have enough of him, cannot think highly enough of him, cannot love him enough, cannot Think of him frequently enough, with depth and affection enough. But he is indeed the one to properly be the king of our hearts, in our hearts, the king of kings and the lord of lords. He reigns forever. His reign now is is beyond the reach of harm, difficulty. In heaven, all is peace. All is following the purposes of God. Whatever day that our nation is in, we can put our trust in him. Confusion here on earth, a turmoil of our own souls. But we pray and our words carry to a place where everything is absolutely fine. God's will is done there in heaven. We pray, oh, may it be done here on earth as it is in heaven. There is nothing, no offense, no opposition. There is no difficulty or hardship but there is mercy and grace to be poured out from that throne knowing all things why well, know the end of time that's all known to our heavenly father where we are within that where we are within our own life time frame what what few what many days still lie ahead for us that's all known there and our prayers are heading in that direction When you and I are there and fumbling for words and feeling distinctly tired and weary. No, remember, that's where the words are going. That's where they're being heard. And our God is so gracious as to hear us 
as though those words were offered from hearts that were ablaze with love and filled with faith. That's the mercy of God to take what we offer and through the merits of Christ's suffering to make them to be very, very acceptable in his sight. We're receiving a kingdom as such, which is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, a gift, as it were, what he's bringing. Hebrews 12, verse 28, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, you can put your trust in this king and all that goes with this kingdom. And so what should we do? Well, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So put your trust in him. Well, you dare not put it anywhere else. He's a consuming fire. You dare not have anyone else who is subtly taking the place of the king of kings and the lord of lords. That is idolatry. Breaking of the first commandment in a most spectacular fashion. And friends, we're all guilty of it. So let's think we are receiving this kingdom. It's begun in our hearts and in our lives. It follows on every time another person is added to that kingdom through conversion. One day, of course, all that beauty of heaven kind of breaks forth and possesses the whole world. We have heaven here really on earth then. And that's the kingdom that we are in the process of receiving. Let's buy installments and then one final large installment. And while we wait for it, we look to have grace. God giving us faith in the promises of this. Focus upon it that we may in return, in reflecting upon that, serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So a day of weeping and mourning, and I guess most of us will probably be watching along with much of the world at 11 o'clock tomorrow and paying our respects and thinking, as I think we rightly should, of a, of a great woman who in the world's terms there really just stood out, will stand out for generations to come, I think. But as we're thankful for her life, I'm glad in God that we lived in a country that had the benefits of, of her rule and reign, of her character uh, and all that she was, both in public and the same in private. But then we look to the future, remind ourselves, actually, we have a king of kings and a lord of lords, never going to die, no funeral that's going to be needed for him, no ritual and pomp, as it were, to have to surround his death, why his death and his funeral, if we can call it as such, was a very, very unhappy affair and occasion. No, none of that. He reigns in heaven above. He reigns over us, his subjects, his people. Our citizenship is in heaven above. And he can dispense help and grace to us in our own personal days of weeping and mourning. Whatever are our griefs and whatever are our trials, we put our trust in him and know that we will never be put to shame. Amen.